Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. All right, folks. How are you, Eagles fans? I think it's a bit of a big week, but that's just me. I'll explain why over the next two hours. With the help of my partner, the Mac guys, here on Birds 365, John McMullen. How are you this morning, buddy? I'm doing well, Jody. Just trying to get my bearings, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out what I missed in the three, four hours of sleep. <laughs> Something always happens. Now, I'd say three or four hours. What time do you get to sleep? Eh, probably around two-ish. I'm exaggerating. Damn. Embellishing. See, I, I was, I promised myself I was going to be in bed by, uh, I was going to be asleep by midnight. I was going to be in bed before midnight and asleep by midnight. Yeah, it didn't happen because the baseball game ended up going past midnight. It is amazing with baseball. And I know it's the playoffs, but they didn't even have to go to extra innings. They laid it out for you that, oh, if we go to extra innings, guess what? No ghost runner. We're back to playing real baseball yeah, here in the postseason. Nice. Yeah. And they didn't even need to go to extra innings. So the Dodgers walked it off Chris Taylor with a home run. But it was after midnight by that point. So I said, yeah, hey, good, nice job getting to sleep early tonight, buddy. But uh, I guess I got more sleep than you. So I'm ready to rock and roll here today. You're quasi ready to rock and roll here today. The question is, how ready are the Philadelphia Eagles for the Carolina Panthers on Sunday? Uh, we'll see. You know, as I delve into this game, Jody, I do think it's more winnable than people think. I really do. I, you know, not that Carolina's not been playing well because they have, <clears throat> excuse me, but I mean, if you delve into it and look at who they've been playing, the opponents, I mean, sometimes, you know, we talk about the Eagles, the difficult part of the schedule is the front part of the schedule. Um, the 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 easier part is, is the back half of the schedule. Well, Carolina's had a pretty desirous schedule uh, early in the season uh, with the Jets, as you know, uh, and and the Houston Texans, which are arguably two of the worst five teams in football. And they took care of business. They deserve credit for that, but it is what it is. And then you talk about New Orleans, which you know, has the big reputation. That was probably the most impressive performance, but the Saints aren't what the Saints typically are. I mean, they're a little bit better than I thought they were going to be, but they're not the Drew Brees Saints. So you you factor that into it. And then last week, because I'm, you know, I'm knee-deep in Eagle stuff, I wasn't paying attention to Carolina-Dallas, and you find out, well, Dallas did what they did to the Eagles. They just beat the brakes off them, and then had a couple late touchdowns to make it look better than it really was. 
I think this is a winnable game for the Eagles. Maybe I'm crazy. In fact, I'm wavering. You know, I'm I'm four and zero. I haven't picked the Eagles once this season. I'm wavering. I'm Ooh. thinking about picking the Eagles between now and Friday. Johnny Mac may be swayed to make his first Eagles win prediction. Yeah, yeah. stay tuned for that. Uh, we will we'll get to that. I'll hold his feet to the fire. I promise, folks. On on Friday. Today, we'll just continue to talk about the game, break down the game. And you are right, Johnny Mac. The key game, of course, for both of these two teams is the Dallas Cowboys because they're the only common opponent between the two. And, yeah, check the stats. They are eerily similar between the Cowboys doing what they did to the Eagles and what they did last week to the uh, Carolina Panthers. Both of those things, both of those games are very comparable. Uh, first couple of days here this week on uh, Bird 65, I did emphasize the fact that Sam Darnold set an NFL record with five rushing touchdowns in the first four games of the season, and no NFL quarterback had ever done that before. You're going to knock me over with a feather. I just didn't know that that was the case, that Sam Darnold owns that record. Would have bet good money against it. Now, Darnold's a nice uh, quarterback. He can pull it down. He can run when he needs to. I remember a couple of lengthy runs with the Jets when he caught the defense completely off guard. Just smart plays, not, oh, my God, highlight athletic running by guys or over guys or juking guys type plays. Just really smart running plays. Uh, but he runs, he runs effectively. He is nowhere near the rusher that uh, Jalen Hurts is. Hertz is a much more gifted running back. He just hasn't done it down by the end zone as much as Sam Donald has done. But as far as comparing number of yards and yards per attempt, Sam's under three yards per attempt. So a lot of those touchdowns were down by the goal line short attempts, whereas Jalen is ripping off big chunks of yardage. Uh, so if I were going into the game, either of these two defense coordinators, player that I'd be, be more worried about making a big play with his legs is actually Jalen Hurts over a guy like Sam Donald. Yeah, and that's why you got it. I mean, and remember, I mean, teams are game planning to stop Jalen Hurts in the run game. They're not game planning to stop Sam Donald in the run game. So some of that, you know, sneaky, lack of a better term, sneaky athleticism helps you uh, when you're a quarterback like Sam Donald because nobody's concerned. You don't go into the, as I said, you don't go into the game saying, oh, we got to stop Sam Darnold from running. It's just kind of uh, part of the of the process. And the fact that they aren't paying attention helps him out. Whereas, obviously, you know, if you're playing Lamar Jackson, if you're playing Carly, Kyler Murray, if you're playing uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, that's part of your plan is like, OK, these guys can hurt us this way. We, we got to figure out you often see a spy bring the Cowboys into it, you know, all the upheaval they were having, you know, thought it was going to be Micah Parsons had to move him to edge rusher against the Eagles turned out to be Jalen Smith, who is cut and on his way to green Bay, evidently. Um, so you have to actually uh, put that in there. And that's one of the things, you know, to elect to an even greater extent, his old buddy in MetLife Stadium, Daniel Jones, is helped by that as well, because Daniel's probably even a better athlete. And every once in a while, the famous run here last year where he tripped. But, you know, people are like, wow, look at Daniel Jones. You know, he's a pretty good athlete. And when he gets out there, um, he could make some things happen as a runner. 
but you don't think of him as a runner. So, you know, when you're not Lamar Jackson, you're not Kyler Murray, where it's just smack dab in your face, you got to deal with this. Those sneaky athletic guys and Sam Darnold's in that category, that's kind of helpful for them, actually. Nice little tool to have in your tool belt if you can take off and make a play, surprising the other team when you do so. And, yes, the Eagles have to have a half an eye, maybe not a full eye, but a half an eye on that coming up this weekend. All right, before we get further into breaking down the matchup between the two teams, yesterday's media availability for you beat reporters, anybody say anything of consequence that you said, wow, I didn't know that? Wow, uh, they came out and admitted to that. Anything that uh, you thought was of major note from anybody who uh, deigned to meet the media yesterday? Little rumblings of unhappiness from Fletcher Cox, um, which I think we talked about Monday or Tuesday on the show. If you, you laid out a bunch of scenarios and I said, if you force me to pick one, he's not happy with the scheme. Well, all of a sudden, you know, he made that little quote about, playing different positions, moving around, makes it difficult. Just to start, not overt, but you could see, you know, Fletcher's not having the production he's used to. All the questions are starting. Everyone says it's not a big deal. Jonathan Gannon says it. Fletcher says it. You know, he's playing out of position. Darius Slay as well. Um, in his case, it wasn't, you know, Slay's personality is so big that, um, you know, he constantly chirps and talks, and we said that that part of it's not that big of a deal. So when he points out, well, the defense might have been terrible against Kansas City, but I wasn't, <laughs> and he wasn't. He was right. He was he was pretty good. He's probably the only one who could argue that. But um, you know, he's a man coverage corner, and the Eagles aren't playing a lot of man coverage. So at some point, he's probably going to start. Uh, getting a little upset by that so and then we talked about ryan kerrigan who's a little bit lesser down the totem pole but same thing if he's playing you know five technique or four technique on paper it doesn't make sense um and he's not producing um so just little rumblings and this is you know jody when you have a young coaching staff and you start to lose and you have veterans who who had major success in different schemes. It's human nature to go. Well, what the you know? I used to be doing this, and we used to be good. And what's going on? And that's what I think the Eagles are dealing with uh, a little bit more. Jonathan Gannon than Nick Sirianni because you know Nick has so many young players. They're not. They don't have a. You know, Jalen Rager can't say, I was good at this. And Quez Watkins and Demonte Smith is a rookie. Jalen Hurts, second-year player. They don't have as many players to say. Could be the tight ends. Um, but they don't have a ton of players. On defense, they have more players who've had success in other uh, schemes and liked other schemes. And they don't like this scheme uh, early on. So they have that in common with the fan base. Understood. Um and this is from a guy just observing on television. I'm not down there watching practice like you. I don't have uh, game film with ISO cameras and the like. So I readily acknowledge that this is not as informed an opinion as others can have. 
of the guys you mentioned who are wondering about their usage and how they're being uh, em empowered and, and deployed on the field, like uh, Darius Slay, like uh, uh, other various guys on the defense, uh, Ryan Kerrigan, I have a tougher time writing it off on Fletcher Cox's lack of production because of scheme than those other guys. I, I can see what you're talking about playing man corner, not playing man corner, playing uh, with his hand in the dirt, not in the dirt, Ryan Kerrigan. Fletcher Cox is playing uh, two man inside. Yes. Sometimes uh, three techniques, sometimes other techniques. I get that, but the change doesn't seem as drastic. And Oh, by the way, one thing that if you're defending Fletcher Cox, nobody's ever going to say Javon Hargrave has been great. And when you are playing next to a guy who's been great, I, I'm sorry. I, I, again, I'm not watching the breakdown of the film that the coaches get a chance to look at, but I'm guessing that Hargrave is getting just as many double teams as Fletcher Cox. If that's the case, not the case, what the hell's the other team's defensive coordinator, uh, offense coordinator doing? I, I'm having a tough time just saying, yeah, well, Fletcher's not getting anything done. It's it's how they're using him. It's on the coordinator. They're just not putting him in a position to make plays. I'm having a tough time believing that, John. Well, I get it. Now, uh, you're right. You know, if it continues this way, I always say the NFL is a copycat league, but it's a really slow-moving copycat league. So it is true to say Fletcher Cox still today gets far more double teams than Javon Hargrave. It's kind of unbelievable to think about if you're an opposing you know, and you're looking at it in the immediacy, but that's the way this this league works. ESPN stats and info had him at 71% on, on pass rushes, double teams, Fletcher Cox. Um, that was the second, that was the most since Green Bay last season. So he's still getting double teamed. Um, you can ask yourself, is that the right way to go if you're the opposing uh, offensive coach, offensive coordinator, offensive mind to head coach, but they're still doing it. And now here's the problem I have. It's not that, that part of it's true. He's getting doubled like he's Fletcher Cox. My, my problem is he used to make plays when he got doubled. That's my problem. So when, if you want to talk about, um, you know, him descending as a player, I don't think there's any doubt he's not on 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 the upswing anymore. You know, he's coming down the other end of the hill. So now it comes down to how quickly does that happen? Um, he's he's made these plays in the past. He's been double teamed in the past. The, the one difference is the shift away from three technique to four technique, sometimes five technique, what they call four eye technique, which Fletcher specifically mentioned with these goofy three, four looks that that doesn't make sense to me at all with the personnel that the Eagles have doesn't make sense to me. And I love Jonathan Gannon. I'll say it publicly. I think he's a great coach. He knows far more about football than I will ever know. However, I, I look at this, you know, Nick Sirianni, they both say it. Jonathan said it the other day. I don't have a scheme. You got to mold around your players. Oh, okay, I'm taking it your word. You don't have the players to run a 3-4. This ain't the Pittsburgh Steelers with, 
you know, great outside linebacker. This is in the Baltimore Ravens. You're you're throwing Patrick Johnson out there and Gennard Avery and these mimic three four looks and and taking Fletcher Cox away. What he does well to be a two gap player, or even a four eye, which is inside but more of a one gap, doesn't make sense to me. Now, but I will say that's that's not a heavy majority of the snaps. Those are occasional looks, um, but those I do question. And I think Fletcher isn't happy with them. Uh, so I add that into the equation for this reason, Jody. If the player isn't happy with him and it's not successful and it doesn't make sense, why, why, why pound the square peg in the round hole? So hey. from a coaching standpoint, that that's my one question. You're going to start to get a little anarchy within the ranks. I hear you. Um the guys at uh, Fletcher would have got up against in practice yesterday had they been working on these somewhat questionable uh, packages that they're using. A um, little bit of a different look yesterday. Jordan Mylotta back limited in practice for the first time in a couple of weeks. You and I speculated on this when they didn't put him on IR. You would have thought, okay, he'll be back. Hopefully only one week missed. Wrong. He missed two weeks. Well, and he should be back for the third week, which would be Carolina this week. He did get back out there on the practice field. They called it limited. Uh, any feel as to how much he was able to accomplish? And now uh, three days away from the game, are we going to see Mylotta? Are we going to see some kind of combination of Mylotta and Dillard? Will they try and bring him back slowly? How do you think left tackle plays Sunday against Carolina? Well, I think if Jordan's able to go and he was limited, as you mentioned, he was working in individual drills and I find this so interesting. He had a big brace on. It was clear either he wasn't fully comfortable with the brace or, um, you know, it's tough to tell if he's still having problems with the knee, but he kept adjusting it. I, I will say this. If he plays and the fact that he's limited and they're trying to get him out there, it's pretty clear the hope is he plays. If he plays, I think he's playing right tackle because Lane Johnson's not going to be available. Um, for all, you know, it's not official, but you know, you're pretty up in the 99 percentile range, uh, by the way, the Eagles were talking. Um, and I, and I find this so interesting because not that they want to get their best players on the field, um, on one particular circumstance. And they think essentially Andre Dillard's better than Nate Herbig. But the fact that they have no problem moving the guy who's, you know, been playing organized professional football for four years uh, to right tackle from left tackle, and he doesn't care. And Andre Dillard, the first-round pick, he's got to stay at left tackle. He's got to stay tethered to left tackle because he's just not good at right tackle. And then Jack Driscoll will be kicked inside to right guard. Um Landa Dickerson obviously will stay at left guard and Jason Kelsey uh, will play center. He had a maintenance day yesterday. That's what I think the Eagles are hoping for. Um, a lot of moving parts there. Is Lane going to be back? I don't think so. Is, um, is Jordan going to be healthy? If Jordan's not healthy, if he can't play, then you'd go back to what you did last week. Driscoll goes back Driscoll out to right tackle. Herbig inside. Uh, Herbig uh, right guard. So that's sort of the ways you can go. But 
if Lane Johnson can't play and all the indications are he's not going to play, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be Andre Dillard at left tackle, Jordan Mailata at right tackle. Which is interesting, um, and you stated it well. It comes down to basically a comparison of Dillard against Herbig at different positions. Ask him to do different things, but one of those guys in, one of those guys out, and you're suggesting moving Mylotta, keeping Dillard in. Herbig is the guy who uh, doesn't get a chair when the music stops. You agree with that? Here's here's my issue with it. Here's the reason why I would suggest that could be the wrong uh, thing to do. You've got my ladder coming back. You're telling me he's got a big brace on his knee. You just saw a couple of individual uh, drills, not the full-blown scrimmage practice action. Um, You're going to move him to the other side where how much crush training did they actually do with him in preseason playing on the other side? I know he's done it before, and he's certainly done it better than Dillard moving to the other side. But how much work has he actually gotten done? You're going to put him out there with a uh, not fully inflated tire on his knee and ask him to play on the other side. I think it could end up screwing up his knee even worse and then seeing him go down for the rest of the season. Uh, if it's me, uh, and I know Stoutland is probably going to be the guy who's going to make the call there, I would not screw around. Uh, I, I would not risk. You just gave my lot of that big contract extension. You're dedicated to him for the next several years. Oh no, I'm I'm not I'm not moving him to the other side if I'm the Eagles. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't factor in the health part of it that could affect him. I I think from the cross training part of it, that's my point. They're not even concerned about Jordan's ability to move from side to side, which I find so ironic because so many other players who've been playing the sport for so much longer can't do it. And he just, you know, maybe it is just from starting so late. And he's like, what's the big deal? And the other guys get it in their head that, oh, I can't move from left to white. It's like wiping with the opposite hand. <laughs> That's what Jordan described it as back in the day. But he's like, all right, mate, I'll go do it. Uh, that's just the way he is. So the health part of it, that's interesting. You know, that's where you got to lean on your trainers and say, could it affect the way he moves? Could it affect his, his knee? Um, and maybe he ends up not playing and we're not having this discussion. Right. And that's why you have Jack Russell who can move inside. And he's, you know, on the right side, he's the same way as far as moving inside and outside. He's like, all right, Lane's not playing two hours before the game. Let's go. I was going to play right guard. I'll play right tackle. So certain guys have that mentality. Certain guys don't. And I think it speaks to the value of Driscoll that he is as flexible as he is. All right, flexible guy joining us next. Our buddy, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. We haven't had him on in a, about a month and a half, as a matter of fact. I'm going to talk birds football with KK in a bit. Mr. Do-It-All for Crossing Board, Kevin Kincaid, joins us next here on Birds 365. <laughs> At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. 
Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Got Mac and Mac squared. John McMullen, Jody McConley with John Bird, 365. All right, we got 17K from Crushing Board, who's figuring out how to get himself lit. What the hell is going on there at the house, Kincaid? Uh, oh my look God. Like, uh, you should be starring in a horror show, not Bird's 365, which no. many people from time to time uh, do mistake for a horror show, but. Uh, <laughs> get some light on in that house i know i know the question is what's not going on in this house so i have a dog over here yeah there's Baxter. there we go yeah, yeah. i like I have that a, uh, i have a three-week-old uh in the other room over here she just got my two-year-old out the door <laughs> just in time so unfortunately for you guys i couldn't get my whole professional lighting rig set up you know the guy holding the thing over my head here. So <laughs> hopefully this is satisfactory i'll try to make it work yeah. it's more than we can hear what you said that's yeah. the most important oh, there you go there you go there you go yeah uh it, it's good to see you kevin haven't spoken to you while i guess the last time you're on i wasn't here but i i do always like to get you on to get that sort of uh fan base mentality and and how the fan base is looking at it because you guys get so much interaction at crossing broad and you know it is we 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 know philadelphia we know the extremes week one Jalen Hurts is going to the Pro Bowl. Nick Sirianni's gonna going going into Canton twenty years down the road. Now here we are. Fast forward after a couple losses, by the way, to great offenses, arguably the best offense in the NFL, uh, top five potential offense in Dallas. Jonathan Gannon all of a sudden is dumber than Jim Schwartz. Is this just the natural evolution of the week to week and? People settle down or people really upset about the way this is going. No, I think people settle into it as the week goes along. You know, I think when you look at it in a vacuum and you say you gave up 42 points at home 
you know, the sky is falling, right? And then when you kind of like sit on it a little bit, you go outside and you smoke a cigarette or you drink a beer <laughs> or you log off of Twitter, you do whatever you do to decompress after a game. You know, I think people kind of say like, you start to like talk yourself. You're like, well, you know, it was the, the Chiefs, you know, and it was yeah. uh, Mahomes and it was Tyree Kill. So, you know, all those different pieces of nuance need to be considered and then you go back and you think about the fact that they had three touchdowns wiped off the board by penalties you know and so when you when you start to like look at the the little things that actually matter now you don't feel as bad about it as maybe you did in the thick of it but uh yeah i mean i i don't i i think that people are there's certainly some people who are like look nick sirianni's not the guy he's got to go you know he's a one and done and you know people get their stories up and they get their clicks and whatnot but uh you know, I think as far as the responses that we've been getting on like Facebook and, and Twitter and social and whatnot, I think people are just kind of like, yeah, you know, Hurts looked pretty good in the last game. And, you know, Nick Sirianni, you know, his game management is, a, is an issue. But, you know, the first two drives that he called were really, really solid and, and, and showed a lot of, of what he can be in the future. And uh, so I still think there's kind of uh, I don't know if I'd call it cautious optimism, but I think that there's there's few, fewer people are going uh, glass half empty after then we would expect after a game like that okay okay here's where i cut the nick sirianni some slack um to say the eagles have been sloppy in their first four games would be a bit of an understatement um is that just because of poor coaching or was it because of poor preparation and part of poor preparation is how much time and effort you put into practices which i'm not sure nick sirianni has I know he doesn't have complete control. I'm not sure how much control he has at all. That's on the organization. They're making organizational decisions as to how much time and effort they're putting into practice. That's why I cut Nick Sirianni some slack to this point. Is that fair? Am I being unbalanced and giving him too much slack? How do you look at the Eagles uh, under preparation at this point? No, I mean, I think that's probably fair. And like when you go back and look at all these different individual things like you know, start with the penalties, right? Okay, so the Arcega white side push off could have been debatable. You know, I mean, they seem to be upset about that call. <laughs> um, you know, Devontae Smith is a rookie and Jalen Rager's a second year guy. So those illegal touching penalties, you can clean it up with young guys, you know. Um, the Andre Dillard penalty that wiped out a touchdown in college, that's not even a penalty. You know, because you're trying to tread the one yard threshold for these, uh, you know, option play for these run pass options and things like that. And it's just those are infinitely harder to pull off at the NFL level than they are in college because of the different rules. So I I think it's all uh, that all amounts to uh, growing pains, you know, new coach, bunch of rookies out there, a bunch of young guys out there. And, you know, I think I remembered reading something where and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Nick Sirianni said, you know, they're not super interested in taking guys off the field and making them sit after a penalty in practice because they value reps, you know, but the one, but the one thing is like, okay, well you can do as many reps in practice as you want to do. Like, so you're losing a guy for one rep because he committed a stupid penalty in practice. He's got to go off to the side. Like that's where I would, I would change it, you know, because there's, there's gotta be a way to, to, to add discipline to it, you know, in practice for these guys to learn it that way. Cause if you just say, well, we need this valuable rep and we're going to keep you on the field. And is the guy learning anything. So I think it's a combination of young staff, young guys and, and growing pains. And also they could probably make some tweaks with practice too. Yeah, you're right, Kevin. That's how they do it. And it's interesting. It's a little chip Kelly sentiment there. And the fact that, and what Jody spoke about as well, they don't have a lot of time, so they don't want to waste reps. And and then they say, let's go inside during the meetings. Let's correct it there. So that's kind of 
the philosophy, and that goes back to this give and take of, of repetitions in general. And, you know, in theory, if the more reps you have, the better you get at something. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a new school and Howie Roseman and company have decided that uh, this is the way to get through a season as, as healthy as possible. And the coaching staff has to deal with that as best as possible. So I do think there is some give and take, but I want to focus, I want to shift to Jonathan Gannon because he's the guy taking all the hits Mm -hmm. uh, coming off that Kansas city game. And I think you're right. I think people forget the best part that I'm going to guarantee the Eagles defense gets better for this one reason. Patrick Mahomes is not on the schedule anymore. Tyreek Hill is not on the schedule. Yeah. It's an outlier game. Um, but people in Philadelphia, and you know, this better than most, they want to blitz. They want aggressiveness. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, and, and on the and offensive side, they want to, they want to, yeah. they want to run the ball on the offensive side yeah. too. Yeah, you know, there are like yeah. style, stylistic things that like just match kind of the uh, attitude of a city that, of uh, you know, this is what the fans think football should be, and that's why I think when you hear Jonathan Gannon say, "Well, we're not a, we're just not a dime defense right now," you yeah. know, keyword being right now. I'm right sitting now. here thinking. I'm sitting Which here. Everybody thinking missed, myself, by the way. Everybody well, missed the right now. Right now, yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you, and even then, with the right now, you could parse that a million different ways. I mean, the the interpretation. You know, I just sit back in there. I think about like the Jim Schwartz defenses from the Super Bowl year. You know, where they would go dime and they'd have Nigel Bradham anchoring and they'd mm-hmm. bring on uh, you know Patrick Robinson as the nickel. Hey, back. Sorry, he sees a squirrel right there. It's all right, man. No bark, no bark. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a big dog, man. He can this, do what he Look, is. this is the problem. He looks yeah. out the backyard all day long. Yeah. Um, but when he sees an animal out there, he starts going apoplectic. So then I got to get him off of the ledge, and I got to bring him down. And I got to close the blinds here. So I just, <laughs> I just need you to behave for like another 15 minutes here, right? Um, you know, bring like Patrick Patrick Robinson in to play nickel. Corey Graham is like a dime. They they had Rasul Douglas for some of those sets. I'm like, so is Jonathan Gannon saying to us that at this very moment he doesn't think he has six DBs worthy of putting on the field? Because the flip side of that is like, do you have two linebackers worth right. putting on the field? Yeah. So I, you know, I get it that they want to make themselves like, you know, they don't want to give up explosive passing plays. And to this day, they're the seventh best passing defense yardage wise in the NFL. But the the flip side of that is yeah. they're the second worst rush. It's so. At some point when he says, like, I don't have a scheme, aren't, aren't we getting into semantics here? Because it's, you're just – you at the end of the day, you got to put the defense – got to put 11 guys out on the field in some kind of deployment, some kind of formation. So it's almost like I wish he would just kind of – I don't know what – I don't really know what he's trying to say there. Is he saying we don't have the personnel to play dime right now? Or is he saying I don't like dime? Is he saying I think our linebackers are better? Because I, I don't – in all of that stuff, John and Jody, that he said – the other day in that press conference, I didn't come away from any of it feeling like I had an answer to anything, you know? And so I, I don't know. It's to this day, four games in, I don't, I don't know what Jonathan Gannon is. All right. I'm going to ask you for an opinion, not necessarily an answer because none of us know for sure. And we got to wait till it uh, either happens or doesn't happen. Uh, I thought your point about the want of the Philadelphia fan was right on. John had it right. Blitz, blitz, kill the quarterback, blood, yeah, yeah. guts. That's yeah. what the Philadelphia fan base wants <laughs> yeah. out of its defense. Yeah. And since I got here in 1990 and it hasn't changed. Offense, yeah, at least this this one does change every once in a while, depending on personnel and the coaching staff and who you got a quarterback. But they do like to run the football. And and 
uh, again, it's drink, blood, guts, let's clear a lane, let's run it down their throats type mentality. That has not been the Eagles in the first four games of the season. No, um, no. There have been some reasons, certainly the team you're playing, the ability to score big points, two straight 40-point games, kind of reduces the amount that you really should be thinking about running the football. But I, this hasn't changed in low mind many years covering football. The game always starts 0-0. Zero, zero. So the worst you can be behind is 7 nothing the first time you get the football. So does... This week's game against the Carolina Panther offense, which isn't as good as Kansas City, isn't as good as Dallas, is this the game where Nick Sirianni actually said, yeah, we need to establish the run. We need to dictate terms here. We need to be uh, the aggressor in determining how this game is going to go. You think they come out and run the ball, try and run the ball down Carolina's throat early on Sunday? I mean, I hope so. And, uh, you know, I, one thing I wish coaches would stop saying is like, well, the game, the situation of the game or the way the game played out dictated what we did. Okay. Like, you really don't have to go into like 10 straight pass mode unless you're down two touchdowns in the third quarter, the fourth quarter. Like, you can be down seven nothing in the first quarter. It doesn't mean you got to start throwing the ball all of a sudden. Right. You can still, you have two full quarters to establish the run. We know how, how good offenses are now in the NFL where it's, uh, you know, you can have these quick strike drives now where you can get yourself back into a game. So I don't think you throw your game plan out the window because Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey came right down the field and scored a touchdown. Like, you got to commit to what you're doing. I know that they like, and they keep saying this, that they consider RPOs to be run plays. And if they want to look at that and, and think of it that way, that, hey, there was a chance that Miles Sanders could have got the ball here, that's okay. But the bottom line is that you don't look at how many times he could have gotten the ball. You look at how many times he did get the ball. So regardless of whether they call, you could have 60 plays in a game, right? And if they called 60 RPOs, but 59 times Jalen Hurts made the correct <laughs> the correct read to pull it and throw it, you could, you then it still means that Miles Sanders always only touched the ball once. So how do you sell that to a fan base, you know? that wants three yards in a cloud of dust. They want LeGarrette Blunt, you know, and they want between the tackles kind of stuff in the red zone. You saw when they did give it to Kenneth Gainwell the other day on that one red zone carry that he had and went for a touchdown. So, you know, I'm not saying that they need to, like, the Eagles need to have Jerome Bettis in there and they need to just pound you for, like, three or four yards at a time. But you do have to have, you know, some kind of balance there. And it's just not there. So I, I – you know, I don't know what their thing is with Miles Sanders. They seem to favor Kenneth Gainwell a little bit more. But, uh, you know, even last year, guys, when we were when Miles Sanders was touching the ball like 10 to 12 times a game, we were still saying that that wasn't enough. So now how are you going to sell these fans on like five to seven? So I, I, regardless of how they get the ball to him, he needs the ball in his hands and he's not getting it enough. So that's the bottom line. Well, let's talk about messaging then, KK, because I think that's been the biggest problem. You brought up some of it. You know, you have Jonathan Gannon saying one day, I don't have a scheme. Nick Sirianni the next day is saying, well, we have a scheme, but this that it's players, 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 players. He always throws that out there. Is that just youth and inexperience uh, on the coaching staff, learning on the job, uh, keeping everybody on the same page? Now you have, I was mentioning to Jody before you came on, you have Fletcher Cox, who's obviously not performing. I think this part's a little bit more difficult for Gannon because he's got veteran guys. He's got guys like Cox and Slay who've had success in other, uh, other, other schemes, other ways of playing defense. Now they're not seeing success in this case. 
you can see the slippery slope. I don't think we're there, but you could see things going in a negative direction if it continues. Nick is a little bit more insulated from that because everybody's so young. But yeah. do you think messaging is the bigger part than what's going on on the field? Well, uh, yeah, I think so. And I don't, you know, like I remember, I guess there was a quote yesterday, Fletcher Cox saying, like, look, I've been a three technique for most of the, I, you know, the last however many years under Jim Schwartz. And now they have me playing four, which, I mean, for being honest, really isn't that much different. But for defensive linemen who do it every day, sure, even the smallest thing like that is a hard adjustment for him. So I, I just wish, it's, to me with Jonathan Gannon, it just seems like he's like trying to say that he doesn't want to be typecasted into any kind of specific coach or any type of specific scheme or something like that. But what, what is, the, what is the, the problem with that? Like every defensive coordinator is known for doing like some kind of specific thing. When the Falcons, you know, when Dan Quinn was had coached the Falcons the last couple of years, everybody knew them as kind of like a prototypical cover three team. Okay. Yeah. But he didn't say like, don't call me a cover three team. Like there was no like, it seems like a pride thing. I know that's my like weird interpretation of it. It's like, I want to have this like, don't call it anything. This is just about the personnel. Well, it, regardless, you got to put the guys on the field in some way. You know, and Philly sports fans aren't that dumb where they're just like, oh, okay, this is some like new, crazy, amazing, innovative thing. Like you got to put 11 dudes on the field so they know what they're looking at. But um, yeah, the messaging could could help help it for sure. You know, but again, it's like so it's, it's almost like pick your poison Like, because you don't have you probably don't have you don't have three linebackers who are good enough to play four, three base. You probably don't have six DBs who are good enough to play dime. So you're going to have to be weak at something. Right. And they've decided that we're going to get gashed in the running game. But we're not going to give up any explosive pass plays over the top so maybe it's this them looking at themselves in the meeting room saying like this roster isn't good enough right now and we're just going to try to keep it as safe as possible be as conservative as possible and you know the result is you know 12 plays 87 yards and seven points so that's what we got to live with i guess kk want to get your take on the emotional aspect of football we all know it's an emotional game played physically and emotionally we talked about it certainly when he went down and now we're seeing the results Brandon Graham comes out at Eagle lineup. Not only is he a a high-level producer and player, but he's also the unquestioned leader of the defensive unit, maybe the leader of the entire football team. I I don't know that they've been able to replace him. I don't know that they will be able to replace him. Somebody's got to step into the lurch. I get it. Everyone is supposed to be individually motivated. Your job is to take it upon yourself to be motivated, but there is a collective the football as well are, are they not putting enough emphasis on it or is there no one possible who's capable of stepping in to the lurch for uh, brandon being out how much do you think emotion and leadership as raw as it is on the field is actually hurting this defense i mean i think that's huge you know i can't speak for them but i say anytime you lose a talismanic kind of player who kind of sets the tone and uh you know, gets the guys prepped before the game and has a lot of vet brings a lot of veteran leadership to the table. It's a huge, there's a ripple effect of that. You know, when those guys go down, you can feel the air kind of like deflating in the room. You can sense it in the fan base too. I mean, like just based on the reaction to it that, Hey, this is, uh, you know, this ain't good. And I think on a more practical, like on field level too, you see now how good of a run stopper Brandon Graham was. I don't know how many times I counted the other day where Derek Barnett and Josh sweat kind of just like, went you know aggressively just kind of went right past the quarterback and then there's no, there's no edge you know because they're too far upfield and the quarterback's just stepping up into the pocket you know so his ability to set the edge his ability to stop the run you know veteran leadership all that stuff i mean now you now you got a, a 
guy in Derek Barnett who the fan base can't stand. You got a guy, Josh Schwed, who now has the weight of, of contracts on his shoulders to play with. You got Ryan Kerrigan, who has he logged a statistic yet? Did he log a statistic? No. Okay. Not so, yet. <laughs> you know, it's all, then, then by, by, you know, you look at that in turn and it's like, well, what the hell is going on at defensive end? So yeah, it's not, it's not just like losing him from a spiritual or a motivational standpoint, but then practically on the field, like, you know, where the hell are you at with the defensive ends right now? So I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons why fans are probably bummed out about that. Yeah, you're right about Brandon, by the way, in the run game. People did not realize just how good he was at that aspect of it. And it's starting to show up. Now we got to worry about yeah. Lane Johnson, the personal yeah. issues. But KK, I got you. So last one for me, because I talk too much Eagles. I got to get into the exciting stuff for me. <laughs> AEW was in town mm. yesterday at the Leah Chorus Center. Yeah. And we got bleep Ben Simmons chance. How big were yeah. they? I saw you put up one video. How was it was it bigger? And then real quick, there's a second one. Yeah. I want to get at you. Angelo Cataldi announced his retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not for a long time. You put out now I looked at it real quick at practice yesterday. A list of 75 potential replacements. <laughs> I didn't see Jody McDonald on. Was he on there? <laughs> no, that go, that goes without saying. I think Jody would be uh, if I did a list. Here's of what sp- goes without saying: yeah. Jody McDonald is getting up too early to do this. <laughs> yeah, you're not show. doing that shit. Yet. I'm not getting up to do that stupid show. Four a.m. ain't doing it for it. Yeah, that no. was. Uh, you know, we do our little like uh, half yeah. on- onion, half uh, dead spin, half whatever. But yeah, we have a lot of fun with those. So uh, no, Jody would always be my my first choice uh, <laughs> at heart. You know, <laughs> good recovery there, Kincaid. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do a serious list at some point too. But um, yeah, the AEW thing, I, you know, uh, one of our guys was down there, actually. And so there was a bunch of different videos of it. It sounded loud and it sounded in sync and it sounded in unison. So I just kept thinking to myself, man, if he's if, if we're getting this chant at an AEW event at the Leah Chorus Center in <laughs> October <laughs> put them on, a, on a Wednesday night, then what's it going to be like when Ben does come come back here? You know, what a disaster, man. I can't even like I came back from paternity leave um, like two weeks ago. And uh, the first the first day was media day where he where Ben didn't show up. And then the Eagles got their doors blown off by the Cowboys. That <laughs> and then we had the first day of training camp the next. That was like a like a like a walking dead zombie for those like 48 hours just trying to like stay upright. But I, I was just like sitting there thinking to myself, like, what a nightmare, you know, to walk back into this. But I can't I, I, I've never seen somebody shoot themselves in the foot. Like if I was Ben Simmons, I would just get rid of clutch right now and say like, i, I would as well you? man this has been what are you feeding me yeah this has been a terrible plan more than the eagles offense shooting themselves in the oh book God, with the I penalties God. i just see yeah, he's lost enough money guys so far we're doing like a fine calculator at oh, the, yeah. it was some fan was like it was a great idea actually it's like you should compile every day like how much money he's been fined and how much he's lost so far he's lost the estimate that we've done because the fines are varying they can be up to a certain amount per day yeah, for like practices and stuff but he's lost the maximum so far as in a week and a half it's like four hundred forty two thousand dollars and, and evidently it, clutch sports doesn't know this didn't know it was coming no, no, alone, he gotta fire them but oh, i didn't you, know they could be this bad i'll give you an nfl connection here since this is a football show somebody point in the sixers front office pointed out to me that the you know you don't the reason that you see holdouts in the NFL a lot more than you see them in like the NBA is because the, the fine structure uh, that's written into the, you know, CBA or whatever is it, it escalates severely, you know? So it's not like you can just hold out and still um, make it, you know, you, you get, you get absolutely killed in the NBA to the tune where it gets to like 
50,000, like 200,000, 250,000. Then like, I, th- I think the number, once you get past the 20th game in the season, you start getting docked for like more than like $300,000 a game or something like that. So you just start getting crushed, you know, because the games are so thick and fast. Like all of a sudden you look up like a month later and you're out like $3 million. Yeah. So I, it's insane that, that it's uh, come down to this, but on the other hand, it's a Sixers. So, you know, nothing, nothing. Here's, <laughs> here's, here's where it gets really interesting. Yeah. You tried to tie the two, the NFL and the NBA together. Good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the NFL, we had a new nuance this year, the hold-in, where players would show up and say, yeah, but I can't play. I got some kind of an injury. And yeah, in yeah. several situations, teams certainly were okay with it. There wasn't one where it really rubbed up against the grain. Mm-hmm. They they tried to force him out there on the field. At some point, that's going to happen with Ben. And probably yeah, yeah. pretty quickly here, he's going to show up but he's going to have this phantom injury that we didn't see in any of the great videos that he put on Instagram <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah, off season. Yeah, yeah, Somehow yeah. he's going to have contracted this massive injury. That's not going to allow him to play, but he's going to be with the team because he's going to get tired and pulling $30,000 out of his pocket. Yeah. And remember practice every day. Remember yeah. guys, the NFL shifted towards back in the old days, you could have, okay, we're going to find a guy. We're going to find a guy. We're going to find a guy every day during training camp. And then you'd make up and you'd waive the fines under the, so it didn't mean right. anything. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Not, but they changed that. That's the reason Aaron Rodgers came in. You couldn't, you couldn't forgive the fines any longer under the new CBA. So they have yeah. changed it maybe right, a right, little bit right. harsher. Yeah. The but then if you go, yeah. Like if you go yeah. back over like 10 last 15 years and yeah, yeah, yeah. hold out, so yeah, it'd be completely different. But I, I, you know, it's crazy to me because like, and I was suggested and so somebody reported it like, Hey, you might come back and just try to say he's got an injury, but if they were going to do that, then clutch should have told him to see this is why he's getting such bad information because if you're going to yeah. do the injury thing, do it at the very beginning of camp. At least try to sell it. You're not like hold out for a week and a half and then, oh, I twisted my ankle or something, you know? The whole thing is my ankle, but I'm coming in. The whole thing is pitiful. (laughs) I mean, you got, you got, you got video of Boba. I was kidding. Oh, he's going to have the video. They're going to get him out to that high school gym that they shot all the videos all summer. (laughs) And he's going to, oops. Oh, let's see how good an actor he is. What kind of fall is he going to take to justify the injury he's going to show up with? I'm telling you, it's going to be one of the best crossing points. He's going to get thoracic outlet syndrome (laughs) overnight. That's like a tr- that's like a trigger. That's like a trigger word for me. Like anytime like I hear thoracic outlets, or I, hear, I hear the uh, the navicular bone or anything like that. Like something like triggers in my brain. And I'm like ready to. Speaking of trigger words, I can yeah. guarantee you, talismanic. Is that the word you used before? Yeah, I I'd never heard of it before, and it's well never done. been used. Well never done, been KK. used on Cross and Broad before. I might, no I one might. has ever brought talismanic. To the uh, forefront I might on crossing that, board, Kevin. it took Kevin word. to yeah. do so. Well, listen, I, I'm I'm here to you know I'm here to kind of help. You know, I I we try to educate at the same time. Somebody can learn. <laughs> somebody can learn something. That's all I can ask for him. Yeah. It's a great word. Yes, yeah, so a talis. Uh, somebody's talisman. a talisman. I like it. Talisman. It's a copycat league, Kevin. I might take that. That's right. Yeah, I, I might I might find that in other uh, writings today. But that's okay. Feel free, we're, we're... buddy. We loved it. <laughs> Always a pleasure, KK. Thanks much. Uh, get your dog out. Let the Thank dog you. get out. Let him get chasing after a squirrel. You've had him locked up too long. I know. I feel like I'm holding him back. I mean, it's like free Willy. I just got to let him go or something. Yes, let, let him, him go. That yeah, is yeah. Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad, uh, one of the most fun guys we get with us here on Birds 360. All right, he's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald.
I want to take John McMullen for a walk down memory lane. Uh-oh. A good walk down memory lane. Oh, all right. That's a a four years ago walk down memory lane. And we all know what happened four years ago with the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Uh, I'll explain what I'm talking about when we come back here on Birds 365. <laughs> At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. John McMullen, I'm Jody McDonald. That would make us Mac and Mac, and that would make this Birds 365. Uh, sneaking up on a Sunday showdown between the Carolina Panthers and the Philadelphia Eagles. We thank Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Board hopping on board with us. Next hour, we've got a guy with real Eagle ties, as in he was an Eagle employee just last year. Uh, former Eagle assistant coach Ryan Paganetti is going to jump aboard with us. Uh, all right, J-Mac, maybe this is a little overly optimistic, but I'm going to try it. You and I both, on on almost daily basis, try and come up with optimistic slants and spins for the Philadelphia Eagles since we're talking about them every single day. Um, it was just under four years ago. I believe it was October 12th. I looked it up this morning. I didn't write that. Um, a Thursday night. And that's why it's actually close um, that the Philadelphia Eagles 
in week six. This is week five this year uh, coming up on Sunday. But week six, they played a Thursday night game in 2017 against the Carolina Panthers. Carolina, yeah. That's the last time they were in Charlotte. In Carolina. And I remember that game uh, tremendously well because I decided to go out with my girls that night. My wife and my daughter and I all went out for a dinner at a really good sports bar restaurant here in uh, New Jersey because Thursday night is uh, trivia night or whatever they call it uh, where you play a competition against the other people in the bar and a guy asks trivia questions. And we had done it before and we always had fun when we go and do it. We never win. Uh, but my daughter and my wife both like to fashion themselves as decent trivia players and they bring the old man along for the ride uh and i said yeah but you realize i'm not going to be paying much attention to trivia because the eagles are going to be playing and i said yeah i just go we'll, we'll go out but you can do whatever you have to pay attention to the game which i did uh and oh by the way it was during the baseball playoffs same thing here it was an october game the Nationals won that. I, I can't even remember who they were uh, beating, but they, they won that when I was on different TV. So I'm trying to pay attention to the trivia and the baseball, but I couldn't move off the Eagles because coming into that game, both teams were 4-1. and one. Cam Newton was off to a good start as the quarterback of the Panthers. And I said, this is a night's litmus test game for the Eagles. I didn't think they were winning that night. Going on the road, Panthers off to a good start. Yeah, Wentz was playing well, but uh, I said, this is a tough road game. The Eagles weren't underdog, much like they are this upcoming week. I didn't think they were going to win, and they played very well that night. They picked off uh, Cam Newton three times. First trivia question for Johnny Mack, who had the Eagle interceptions that night. Three INTs of Cam Newton. the, The only thing I remember, everything runs together, Jody. The only thing I remember about that game, Zach Ertz had a big game. I know that. Two catches. All he had were two catches. Well, two touchdowns. Now they both happened to be in the end zone. Those were the only two catches he had, both for touchdowns. Um, I remember uh, that's the game I remember for. Uh, Chris Maragos got hurt, and that was pretty much the end of his career. Really? Ooh, uh, I forgot yeah, that. that was the game. That was the game he got hurt in, which you know, he's a good guy. I was disappointed. That's so. That's what I think of. And the other thing I think of that game is that's when people started thinking, okay, this is a good team. Um, you know, or has a chance to be a good team. I, I thought it was a little bit early. Um, I think it was a couple weeks later where they just destroyed Denver at Lincoln Financial Field. That's when I said, all right, this is this is this is a really good team. But as far as the minutia of who had the interceptions, man, I, I don't I should remember because they don't get many interceptions, but I don't remember that kind of stuff. They were in no particular order. I didn't write this down. Um, Jalen Mills, the Green Goblin, got one that night. Patrick Robinson, who would go on to have a bigger and more important interception later in the year, got one. And Rasul Douglas. Rasul, going, yeah. Rasul had an ended up in one. Carolina at one point. By the way, Rasul just signed with the Green Bay Packers. 
They wanted they, Stephon Gilmore. They had okay, to sell yeah, they're not getting Stephon Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore going to the Carolina Panthers, in case you haven't heard. Now, yeah. don't sweat it, Eagle fan, because he's not playing this week. He's no. still on pup, and he's got seven more ye- weeks before he can even be activated. So you don't have to worry about him doing anything against the birds this year. Not happening. He signed, uh, excuse me, he was traded. The Patriots put him on waivers before anybody was able to claim him. They pulled him back and traded him to Carolina for a sixth-round draft pick. But uh, will not be active against the Eagles this week. All right, here's the uh, little – and I looked this up because I remembered that game. I was one of those. If this is bragging, so be it, uh, that after that game said, damn, maybe the Eagles are actually a true legitimate contender this year. I don't think I went so far as to say Super Bowl. They're going to win it all. But I did say, maybe this is a playoff team. Yeah, maybe they can win this division. I was that impressed with that win over that over Carolina that, that night. Um, the Eagles had four sacks of Cam Newton that night. And it was two sacks split between two guys on both of them. Fletcher Cox had a half a sack. Yeah, I'm going to go Fletcher and Brandon. That I can... Uh... Brandon Graham had half a sack. Believe it or not, Derek Barnett had half a sack. Now, I'll give you 10 bucks the next time you can see you see me, if you can tell me who the other guy is who had a half a sack. Hmm. Fletcher a half, Barnett a half, BG a half. The other half a sack went to... Can you give me a position? I'll give you his initials, and I'll bet you you don't get it. I'll get it if you give me the initials. J.H. J.H. 2017. Justin Hamilton. Very good. Damn. I don't even remember Justin. Who the hell is Justin Hamilton? Defensive tackle. Yeah, he wasn't around for a long time, but... um... Yeah, defensive tackle. That's why I asked for the position. Okay. Uh, I, I couldn't have given you the position because I don't remember Justin Hamilton. And that's bad. That's only four years ago. And I can't tell you I remember Justin Hamilton being on the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, well, I don't think he was on for uh, the entire year. So he's on for a couple of up. weeks. Yeah, I would have to look up how long he Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done lasted but and here's nothing i didn't know because i i looked i said who the hell is justin hampton why do i not remember this guy if he played in a couple of guys he made plays he got stats i should at least be able to remember maybe not describe his game or where they got him or how they got him in life i should at least remember him i remember this guy a little bit so i i looked him up he's still on the dallas cowboys practice squad yeah he's yeah yeah uh, I don't remember behind hard knocks this year either. Justin, where have you gone? Well, I don't, yeah, that's the thing. You got to think about, it. I mean, the Eagles carry 70 players when you, you count the practice squad, they have the international player, Matt Leo. So they got 70, right? Everybody else got 69, but um, yeah, I mean, some of these guys come and go and, you know, Christian Ellis got cut yesterday. Um, people are saying who now the only reason 
he he's the son of Luther Ellis, who used to be a pretty good player with uh, the Detroit Lions back in the day. Um, you know, these guys come, you see them once a practice, and then they might be gone. Now, the, here's the one last question, and I promise you we'll move on. And uh, Ryan Paganetti's going to join us coming up about 15, 18 minutes from now. Um, do you believe Justin Hamilton got a Super Bowl ring? I think um, he was with yeah, the Eagles about everybody. three or they four gave, weeks. They, 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 gave, they gave power to Super Bowl ring. That's yeah, they true. gave everybody. They, gotta, gave, they, they gave people at WIP a Super Bowl ring for the flag. <laughs> they gave everybody a Super Bowl ring. That's true. So you're you're pretty sure Justin Hamilton spent yeah. about three weeks on the roster. Oh, he got himself a Super Bowl ring. Yeah. Wonder yeah, Jeffrey. Hey, man. That would not go over We talked about that with Shady McCoy uh, getting two Super Bowl rings at the end of his career when, let's be honest, he didn't have a lot to do with them. No. Um, hey, man, I'd be – I would – well, hey, I'd be if, – if you're involved in any way – and Jim Schwartz used to say this, uh, guys in training camp, you contributed to this. So I would, I would say, I would hope he values it. I would not wear those rings anytime. They're too big. They're too heavy. They're too bulky. If you show up, you know, for one, you're not wearing them every day. I mean, those things are, those things are ridiculous. Got to be specialized occasions. If you're going to put one of those on, I would, but he should I would... be proud of it. I, he should take pride in it no question and, and i know because jim swartz coached him he does take pride in it because he he will tell him he was involved and he was a big part of it. okay um just a uh when i was prepping for today's show i did remember uh going out that night my both my girls were texting me they kept asking me trivia questions and i wasn't paying attention because i was paying attention to the eagles and they were playing well and they were impressing me enough so that i said damn maybe this squad has got a run in them that's not this week against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, that Eagle team was four and one. The Carolina team was coming in was four and one. This Eagle team this week is one and three. The Panthers are three and one. But as you uh, rightfully laid out for everybody at the top of the show, how big a three and one is this? They beat the Jets early. Jets lost their first three games. They beat the Houston, who's not very good. They won their first. Came in and lost their three game sits. Um, they got their tails kicked by the Cowboys the same exact way the Eagles did last week. Uh, it's kind of, I don't want to call it a faux three and one, but it's a, uh, you need to have a tight focus on how the Panthers have gotten to three and one. The Eagles are an underdog coming into this week's game. The wagering line opened at four and it has actually moved slightly toward the Eagles down to three and a half from a four opener. And you say, what the hell? It's only a half point. It's kind of a key half a point. The half a point between five and five and a half isn't a big deal. The half a point <laughs> between four and three and a half is a bit of a big yeah. deal. Um, and you said at the top of the show, Jay Mack, you're actually considering the Eagles as a potential winner. Something you have not done so far yet yeah. this year. That uh, you think this is a possibly winnable game for the birds? I do. I don't think this is nearly as good a team as people think it is. Um, you throw in some of the injuries, particularly Shaq Thompson. I don't think is going to play. They don't have anything on the offensive line. Cameron Irving isn't a good left tackle to begin with. He it looks like he's not going to be able to play. Uh, 
they were calling. Uh, I was talking to somebody in, in Carolina when they made the trade for uh, Gilmore. They've been calling around the league for offensive linemen. So I, I think, you know, people look at the Eagles and they say all the injuries on the offensive line, man, Carolina would love to have an Andre Dillard or even a, a Jack Driscoll or a Brett Todd. You know, that, that depth on the Eagles offensive line is pretty impressive. And look, I think people, I think Carolina itself by that trade for Stefan Gilmore doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, I, you know, Gilmore's from um, North Carolina. So, He's he's happy. He's happy to be back. That's one of the teams he wanted to go with. But other than that, he would have wanted to go to a contender. I know Green Bay had heavy interest in, in trying to get Gilmore. Um, I would think he'd rather be in Green Bay if he wants to win or, you know, maybe going home is a bigger thing to him. This team's not ready to win, and it seems to think they are ready to win. And it's certainly in that division with Tom Brady – and, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, you're doing all this for a potential wild card berth. There, that's when we talk about transitioning, rebuilding, being disciplined. So when I said the one thing I'm happy about is Stephon Gilmore's off the board really quickly. Jalen Smith is off the board really quickly. So I don't have to deal with Eagles fans asking me, why shouldn't the Eagles go after these players? Got to be disciplined. You're not in a position that, where they're going to help you. When you are good again, they're not going to be here. Uh, that type of thing. You know, Carolina already has J.C. Horn. Now, granted, he's hurt. That's another one of the injuries. He's hurt. He's not there. But he's going to be there long term. They have Deontay Johnson, who's a pretty good corner. They just traded for C.J. Henderson. It's like, what are you doing? I know you need a lot of corners, but you can't pay high-level corners. Um you got to get capable guys. So I just didn't understand it. I, I, I'm not in love with the way they're reacting to three and one. If, if you know what I'm trying to say, Jody, it's like we always talk about adversity and how you handle difficult situations. Well, there's something to do with handling successful situations. And I don't think they're handling success well. They're, they're not looking at, okay, we beat the Jets. We beat the Panthers. Uh, we got a couple late touchdowns, meaningless touchdowns against the Cowboys. I think they're looking at that three-and-one record feeling kind of haughty, and that's why I'm starting to think the Eagles might have a chance in this game. Here's, why, here's, where, here's where I uh, – let's see. Got to choose the right word here, not talismanic. Um, <laughs> completely disagree with you. I got no problems with what Carolina is doing. They are three and one. They think they're going to beat the Eagles this week, which means they're going to be four and one. The week after that, they've got Minnesota at home. How's the Viking defense look so far this year? Terrible. Overrated, perhaps? Terrible. Uh, I would go so far as to say terrible. Terrible. Okay. So they think they can win that game. After that, they've got the Giants. How have the Giants played? Uh, not not they well. They got their first win last week. They beat a bad Atlanta squad. Uh, but other than that, they haven't been able to win a game. And then the week after that, they've got Atlanta. So they've got the Eagles, the Vikings, the Giants, and Atlanta the next four weeks. I hear you, what you're saying, You Jody. can make the argument that they win all those games. 
You're seven and one. You can make. I, a... I don't care how much we thought of them before the season started. And ever... Seven and one and seven and one. I hear what you're saying, and that's a a strong talk show argument, and that's the good stuff, good fodder for people like you and me. As a net, as a football team, you can't say, "Oh, we're three and one." Look who's on the schedule: the Eagles, the Vikings. Who was it? The Giants, the Falcons. We're going to be seven and one. I guarantee you one thing. The Carolina Panthers are not going to be seven and one. The Eagles are going to beat them or the Vikings are going to beat them. One of those two games they're going to lose and they're going to get knocked on their, you know what? I don't know which one I'm thinking more Eagles. Um, And then you're right. I don't know what the giants, you know, they can jump up if they play well on a certain week, the Falcons, I'm not a big fan of. Um, and then I haven't looked at the full Carolina schedule. I could pull it up. I'll go. Uh, yeah, I'll go real quickly for you. The week after, home against New England. New England is one of those in transition type teams who could get better, who could stay flat, who could. Yeah, get they're worse. not. Yeah, they're not. They're beatable team. They're beatable, no but I wouldn't it. just say lock it in win for Carolina either. The week after that, at Arizona, that's it. You can probably chalk that one up as an L. The week after, they're home to the Washington football team. And the week after that, they're at Miami. If two is not back, I think the Dolphins stink. And then the week after that, they're home against Atlanta. That's a pretty easy schedule they've got. All right. They got Buffalo and Tampa after that. Yeah, at some point, you know, you got to well, get yeah, some At some point, you know, back. it's coming. And then they got, I think, Tampa t- twice in the last three weeks. Right. Um. Look, I'm not saying they don't have a chance to make the playoffs. They have a chance to make the playoffs. I'm saying you already have J.C. Horn. You already have Deontay Johnson. How many corners can you pay? Is this a rental? You're getting the fifth round. uh... Even though he was a high pick, J.C. Horn's still on his rookie contract. That's not not eating up a mega chunk of your cap. It's eating a first-round draft pick chunk of your cap. But that's not a mega chunk. I think they can afford a guy uh, to, to come in and be. If he can play to the level of what he played to last year, I'm not even asking him to play back to what he played the year before, which was defensive player of the year. But if he played back to the level that he played last year, I think he's well worth acquiring and paying him the salary that New England had agreed with him. Well, obviously, if he's defensive player of the year level, uh, he's worth any salary. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not even saying – I'm saying last year. Last year, he, he certainly had a comeback down to the pack year for New England, a damn good one, a Pro Bowl-level type season, but some of that built on reputation. Um, if he plays to that level, I think he's worth what his contract is, and I think he helps you win football games, and Carolina wants to win football games and make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean it's fun, and he's a local kid, as I said as well. And he and he probably wants to play there, and, and he wants to prove some things. And we'll see how quickly they could get him uh, up to speed. Um, I think they need more help on the offensive line, as I said first and foremost, and that's even before the injuries. Um, you can collect corners; you can never have enough good corners. Um, I I just. I, I think they're skipping steps. I think they're it, it, they're very excited about it. Remember, this is not a team with a, a history of making the playoffs consistently, especially recently. Uh, obviously, you had the little run with Cam Newton when they were a good team. Um, it's been a while, and, and that's where you get a, a little bit, and that's why I said you got to handle. 
I'm talking. I'm not talking about the fan base. I'm not talking. I'm, I'm talking about the organization. You got to handle success as well as adversity, and you got to be honest about yourselves. I don't think they're being honest. I think they're they're skipping steps. I think, and and that's why I'm starting to think. If let's all right, let's fast forward, Jody. We're 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 here next week. We're talking about an Eagles win. You think the same way about the Carolina Panthers if this Eagles team beats them? Oh, uh, definitely not. But if they win, if they beat the Philadelphia Eagles, does that change your opinion at all? Uh, 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 a little bit. You Four and see one the rather than three yeah, and one. You got to see the are. context of the game. I do right. think they're going to lose to the Eagles or Minnesota one of the next two weeks, which are both home games, by the way, for them. Um, I, I just get this sense, and I could be wrong. Remember. I didn't like the spot for the Eagles in week one. It's the only time I was wrong. I was completely wrong. Uh, maybe I'm wrong here. I just get this feeling that, and it's from texting to some people in Carolina as well who cover the team. This team's starting to think they're a little bit more than they are. Yeah, could be wrong, but I, I sense it when I look at this team and I, I don't see a I see big holes on, on the offensive line. I see, you know, Shaq Thompson to me has been their best defensive player. Um, he's not going to play. Um, they have a ton of, of, of talented corners, as we just said, but horns out and, and Gilmore's not able to play right now. So, you know, maybe eight weeks down the line, it's different. But I, I just don't think this team is three and one talent uh, versus more than three and one schedule. If yeah. that makes sense, I, th- I think it's a combination of two. So therefore, I don't have a problem with the decision to pick up a guy like Stefan Gilmore. And a key is going to be, and I don't think we're going to know till Sunday, John. If I were the Carolina Panthers, I would do my best to keep it under wraps. What is Christian McCaffrey going to be this Sunday? He's coming yeah, I back. think he's playing, um, but they are keeping it under wraps. Right. Um, but from everyone I spoke to, they think he's going to play, and we'll see. I mean, he's he's one of the best playmakers in football when he's healthy, but those hamstring injuries with players like that, they can be troubling. Um, but, yeah, no question. That makes it – I'd r- much rather be facing Chuba Hubbard uh, than Christian McCaffrey. So – yeah, it looks like that that part of it's bad for the Eagles because that that's a that's a tough player to deal with and it especially tough player to deal with if you don't have any linebackers right. and the Eagles don't have any linebackers. Let's be there, there's a chance that Christian McCaffrey gets three touches and is standing back on the sidelines and gets nine yards in those three touches, or there's a chance that he gets eighteen touches. Gets 120 yards combined rushing in on the air and gets into the end zone twice. If By I the way, we always, you know, every, every time Christian McCaffrey is brought up, I have to bring this up because we always talk about it. And it's true. The Eagles don't value certain positions. We always talk about linebacker. We always talk about running back. Certain players can change that. You saw it a little bit with Devontae Smith. And and, and what do you call those type players, John? Fuck you players. <laughs> Certainly, you saw it a little bit with Demonte Smith. The Eagles typically don't take line uh, wide receivers at number ten overall. They're typically not even in the conversation. Christian McCaffrey was that guy at running back. They badly, 
badly wanted Christian McCaffrey in the 27th. That was the Derek Barnett draft, and they couldn't get high enough to get him. They badly they wanted really Christian bad. McCaffrey, and they would have taken a running back in the top 10 if they could have gotten up there. It would shock people to you know what. He is John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald. We are your Mac and Mac guys. Uh, we've got uh, oh, 40 some odd minutes left today. Going to spend it wisely. Brian Pagnetti, the ex Eagles uh, assistant coach, is going to hop aboard with us. He gives us a different perspective. We get a bunch of different guys here to come on and do guest spots with us. Well, we get a guy who used to coach the Philadelphia Eagles, not head coach, but coach the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a different perspective. Looking forward to talking to him with you guys right here on Birds 365 next. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Appreciate you tuning in to Birds 365 with the Mac and Mac guys, Joe McDonald, John McMullen. Joining us is a guest who had previously been part of the show. Let's have him back again today. Former Eagles assistant coach Ryan Paganetti hops aboard Birds 365. What's the hat say there, Ryan? I, I can't make out uh, that. Oh, that's uh, FTL Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale, yeah, that's my favorite airport. If you're flying into Miami, you got to fly into Fort yeah, Lauderdale. Sure. You got to make the trek up. So, um, 
Yeah, Fort Lauderdale. So hopefully you're feeling better. Ryan is in South Florida these days. And uh, so you're a little bit far away. You're obviously not the building anymore, Ryan. But I just wanted to get your early impressions as a former, you know, game day management assistant for Doug Peterson. What are, you, what are your first impressions of Nick Sirianni as far as uh, accepting uh, sort of those advanced data points when it comes to an ever-evolving league? So I think he's for definitely, uh, you know, a little bit more conservative than Coach Peterson, but it seems, you know, some of these somewhat close calls, he's leaning a little bit more towards field goals or punts. But that being said, he's not completely resistant to it. Like they have gone for some fourth down attempts. You know, they've gone for some two point conversions where it sort of made sense from an analytics standpoint. But, um, you know, I think he, he sort of manages some of these situations a little bit differently, or in particular, some of the, the two minute situations. He seems a little bit, you know, he's handling his timeouts a little bit differently than maybe the typical analytics recommendation. But, um, you know, I think overall, you know, certainly, you know, some, some, first year head coaches struggle with some of this stuff, but I think it's been okay. Like it hasn't really been a complete deal breaker or anything like that. And, um, you know, I think he's definitely still a little bit more aggressive than some of these old time coaches that have, you know, been in the league for 20, 30 years and they have their way of doing things and they're going to, you know, kick their field goals on fourth and one and fourth and two. And I think he's definitely <laughs> a little more aggressive than that. I'm going to go Mike Zimmer on you for one. But... Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, uh, I, I want to make a comparison and have you help me understand something. And I readily admit you're up here and I was somewhere down here. Um, I played Division three college basketball and then I got hurt and it just wasn't, there's no chance of me going to play anymore. So I became a broadcaster, but I wanted to stay involved in basketball. So I became a referee first in um, athletics within the university. Uh, and then when I graduated from college, I actually continued to do it on high school level. It took me three friggin' years to get it out of my system. When I would watch a basketball game, I would watch it from the perspective of the referee. Now I'm a player my whole life. I'm a fan, but I'm watching basketball and I'm watching it through the referee's eyes. And I couldn't stop. And I just done it for about two years, but it became part of my way of watching basketball. You're a coach. You're not coaching now. When you sit down and watch the Eagles or anybody else, how do you watch a game? So I think I think I'm a little bit in a similar stance where you know almost every fourth down or two point conversion or you know certain situation, I'm thinking of like, all right, how would I have done this? And sometimes some of the things these coaches are doing are kind of making my hair. You know, I want to pull my hair out and like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. You know, I would do that differently, but you know, um, I think, uh, I just, it was, it, it's nice to sort of relax. I mean, I was, you know, it was seven days a week, like hundred plus hours a week work, you know, the most deflating thing to me would be the, uh, the night games. And I think, you know, that might've played into the Kansas city game, but you know, you lose a night game and it's on the road and you're flying back, you know, they probably left, uh, Dallas at like two in the morning. They get in yeah. maybe like six, and they got and, back at five, yeah. Yeah, they, they want to jump right back in and, and and go right to the office on limited sleep, and everyone's miserable. And, um, you know, I think that really can kind of drag on people. And, and for me right now, I'm like, yep, I can just go to bed, you know, sleep in. You know, <laughs> like, this isn't too bad. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's kind of nice. I mean, obviously, I want to see the Eagles be successful. My brother's still there. But, um, you know, not having to overly stress about things is a little bit more peaceful. 
Well, I want to talk about a stressful situation because it happened early against Kansas City. And I, I want to look at this from a from two different perspectives. The opponent, because I want to know how that changes things from your thinking, Ryan, the fact that Kansas City is going to score some points. Mm-hmm. You're, you're sitting there at fourth and three, I think. Yeah, the decision was go for it, which I thought was the right decision for the Eagles. Uh, then whatever happened, the communication, Shane Steichen said they called a, uh, you know, a, a play you could kill. So essentially two plays at one. Clock's running down. They call timeout. The decision, they go out and kick the field goal. So one, the decision to kick the field goal, but the other, how does it change when you're playing a different team? I mean, Kansas City's just more explosive than everybody else. So that that has to change your thinking, doesn't it, if you're playing a team that struggles offensively? Yeah, I think, you know, in general, you probably have some kind of baseline case, okay, like, if we're roughly average, they're roughly average. This isn't, you know, a normal NFL situation. This is how we would sort of handle these situations. And even in those sort of normal situations, I would have, you know, sort of recommended a fourth and three would be a little bit towards going for it. You know, even if you're going up against an average opponent there, but once you sort of have that baseline and maybe you like go into the season at like, this is what we're going to do. Typically you have to make some kind of opponent adjustment, particularly factoring in, you know, a very talented offense, um, and, you know, of course, you know, I think the Eagles were pretty significant underdogs and you know, they were the, the Chiefs were projected going into the game, you know, scores like 30 or 31 points. Um, and I think, you know, those all those variables would tilt you in those scenarios that are sort of close calls to just, you know, lean towards being more aggressive for sure. Um, I, I'm not so sure. It was a little bit confusing. You know, maybe it, to me, it appears that maybe there were, they thought that a timeout was or the timeout was not called and it was a delay game instead, or like, because it just doesn't add up to go for the fourth down and then call timeout and send the field goal unit out because you really have plenty of time, you know, after the timeout to get your call in and everything. I think the most important thing from just my experience is that if you're communicating information to the head coach, you know, whether it's second or third down, um, they, the head coach also wants to know, or he has to make that decision as quickly as possible in the play clock because you know, Doug, Doug always did a great job of really deciding, you know, probably by like 35, 36 seconds in the play clock, okay, are we going for it? So he can go to his menu of plays and, you know, pick out the best one. But if you sit there and you take an extra five, six seconds, and then you're calling a play with a kill on it and, you know, Jalen Hurts maybe doesn't even get the play call or they don't break the huddle until too late and they have two plays called and, that that process, you know, really isn't ideal. And in particular, you know, having to use a timeout, you'd never want to have to use a timeout to make these decisions. Like you always want to, you know, make the decision as swiftly as possible and 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 operate normally because ultimately you saw at the end of the first half, the Eagles really could have used an extra timeout because they sort of were rushing on their two minute drive. So, you know, I always sort of prided myself with the Eagles. Like if we got to the two minute warning and we still had all three timeouts, I'm like, yeah, like we're in a good spot. Like we got a good shot here to, you know, use these timeouts to maybe score some points to end the half. But, um, you know, it's it's never really ideal when you're, like, ripping timeouts on offense early on in the game, and then maybe you might need them at the end of this first half or end of the game for, you know, getting the ball back or something. Ryan, your uh, gig with the Eagles as a, an assistant coach was multifaceted, one of which was assistant uh, linebackers coach. The Eagles had the linebackers that they had while you were there. They got the linebackers now. 
John and I talk about it altogether too often here on Birds 365 as an organization. Before Ryan Pagnotti got there, since he's left, going back, shoot, three decades, the Eagles have not put an emphasis on linebackers, at least in McDonald McMullen's opinion. Um, they've got the group they've got right now. How would you as a coach say they're playing? That's part of your job as a coach to evaluate how your players are playing. You know the system you've got them in. You know what you're asking them to do. From afar, mm-hmm. how would you say this Eagle linebacker crew is playing? You know, I, I think they're doing okay. I mean, it's ultimately you look at year over year, the investment of resources at linebacker, you know, how much of the cap is spent there. It's always near the bottom with the Eagles. That's just, you know, a philosophy of the organization. I mean, certainly from my perspective, you know, being in the linebacker room every day, I certainly would have liked to know if he spent some first round picks or like went out in free agency and got some guys, but that's just not what they were going to do. Um, you know, and the guys that have been there, they've they've really kind of battled and, and done the best they could in those situations they've been presented. But, um, you know, I think just th- there's some things that are almost out of their control. Like if I know there was a play there and like the, the, the goal line where we, there was a linebacker lined up on Tyree Kalen, it's like I don't know how many linebackers in the NFL would have a good shot there. So, you know, I think one of the challenges, you know, with the Eagles playing, they play so much too high um, is that in the run game, you're a little bit light in terms of numbers. So these linebackers have to make some plays and, and um, you know, they've, it's, it's sort of been tough because, you know, they just, they've gone up against some pretty good run teams and um, you know, the offensive lines are going up against have been pretty good. And it's, it's just been a sort of a challenge when you, when you don't have enough numbers in the box, like you're always sort of, you know, you're almost hoping that a D lineman just makes a ridiculous play like Hargrave, which who, who has made some some great plays. Mm-hmm. But if he's if you if your defensive line is not making a like you know a difference making play, and you just have light numbers, it's it's really tough. And that was something with Coach Schwartz that he was you know very consistent about first and second downs. We were going to have a heavy box and we were going to make it hard for that team to run. They might hit us on some passes, but ultimately we're going to get them in a lot of third and longs and allow our pass rush to get after them. But you know, this team's philosophy seems to be more, okay, it's it's cool with running. You know, we'll, we'll give up some yards. We'll try to get them to third down and short. But, you know, unfortunately, it seems like a lot of those first and second down plays are going for pretty good gains, and they're really not even getting to too many third downs um, as a result. So I think, you know, to some degree, schematically, the linebackers are sort of being put in a tough position. You know, obviously, if you're playing zone and they're putting receivers on the interior, you know, like they're lined up at number three in a formation, you know, that's – you, you end up having to cover them. It's a tough deal. So I think, uh, I think they're battling. I think, you know, you, they'll, they'll, they'll be okay. And Ryan, I, I, I want to talk about um, the game day management part of it and, and being in the ear of the head coach, because we talked a little bit about that, you know, 42nd clock, things happen really, really quickly in the NFL. You mentioned you got to make that decision really quickly. If it's to go for it, not to go for it, Got to get the play in quickly. The Eagles and Nick has now been on record saying they have this system where he calls the play, tells Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen is the one who who gives it to Jalen Hurts, <clears throat> which to an outsider like me seems like a bit of redundancy. You're adding a layer to it. Um, is that layer needed? Why would a coach do that? Is it? going to create problems when you have such a small amount of time what's your experience being 
in the year of the head coach at times. Yeah, so I I do when I heard that I, I was a little bit concerned, you know, from a from a game management perspective, the less layers and the less friction bet- between getting the plays in because I again, like I mentioned earlier, you know, saving those timeouts as much as possible and making these decisions quickly so you're not really in rush situations is really sort of ideal process. And you know, to have you know, say that the head coach maybe takes a few extra seconds to decide on a fourth down, then he calls a play at 25 seconds, and then the the the, court, uh, the, the offensive coordinator has to relay that into Jalen and say it's a long play because you have some kill in it, and all of a sudden, it's like you're you're really running short on time. And we tried at one point to have you know we had some uh, coaches that were a little bit more involved with calling plays in two minute situations. Um, I think we had like Rich Scandarello oh, last yeah. year calling some of that a little bit. And I think, you know, I think the play calls were, were good and they were fine. But, you know, there were t- some times, too, where it was a little bit of an unusual deal because he'd be up in the booth, call it, and then Doug would relay it. Or, you know, maybe Doug didn't exactly want to do that exact play. Or um, particularly when time is is really valuable, I think, you know, it's a sort of difficult operating situation. And from my perspective, from a game management perspective, I would be I would certainly prefer if you know, I was just communicating information directly to the play caller and the play caller just calls it right into the quarterback. And and that's how you sort of operate. But, you know, I, they have a process and realistically, you know, they've, they've been pretty good on offense. You know, the, some situational stuff maybe, you know, hasn't been ideal like the, the red zone stuff, but they're moving the ball. And I think, you know, that's promising going forward that they are, you know, managing to move the ball fairly effectively up and down the field. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see how that shakes out, but I haven't heard of too many teams that have a process where, you know, they might have an analytics person helping and then have the uh, uh, somebody calling a play to somebody else who then calls a play. And I think that's a little bit of a, a tough process. Ryan, I'm not sure if you're uh, completely suited to answer. No, you're more suited than John or I. Um, but because you did your work in the press box, maybe this isn't a question you can a- answer with 100% assuredness. I mentioned this earlier on the show. I mentioned it the last couple of weeks here on the show. The Eagles miss Brandon Graham. They miss him as a player for his capabilities for damn sure, but they also miss his leadership. And I don't want to say the Eagles look rudderless on defense, but they look like they're lacking something. And I think leadership is part of it. And I think Brandon Graham not being there is part of it as well. Am I overstating things? Can players take leadership from their teammates on the field and help raise their game? Is that something guys like me and the media just make up and it isn't really a fact of life in the NFL? Or is it? I know you weren't down there on the field. If you were on a game in, game out, play in, play out basis, you might have a better read on it. But you're there during practice all week long. How much can a guy's individual leadership be missed when he's taken off a team? You know, I, I think you can really feel it, you know, when you have these tone setters or these high character players, these leaders of your team that, you know, it's always great when the the highest paid players or the, the the veterans of the team are also really hardworking. They grind in the weight room. You see that with New England, you know, Tom Brady, people who, who go to New England practices or then now Tampa practices, they'll tell you that. You think it's you think they're getting ready for the Super Bowl every single week with how, you know, Tom treats everybody in practice and the tone that he sets. And, you know, I even saw, um, you know, when we were playing and we had Jordan Hicks, the you know, the Eagles Super Bowl year. And like he was a good player, but he had an unfortunate injury. But, you know, he was a leader of the defense, you know, middle linebacker. And 
he stayed really involved with the team. Um, you know, he, on a weekly basis, he was in all these meetings, you know, he was always helping out the younger guys. He was on the sideline helping out, you know, giving guys tips. And I think, you know, that's something that really was important and valuable. And, and to me, I think, um, if I was going to pinpoint, you know, what's going on with the Eagles defense, um, I, I'm not so sure it's just exclusively the Brandon Graham situation. I think there's a couple things going on there. The first being that no one really knew what they were going to be doing on defense going into week one. So I think, you know, that sort of threw off Atlanta. And now that they sort of have tape of like, okay, we're going to do this three, four, two gap in front a lot. And I think, you know, these other teams have been able to game plan some, you know, run concepts and, you know, how they're going to attack there. I think, uh, you know, I do think with losing Brandon Graham, they're, they're now asking some of these guys to, line up in certain ways like there's this four eye technique inside the tackles and you know they're asking them to sort of two gap at times and and uh line up in ways that maybe isn't what they're used to in their experience whether that's ryan kerrigan or josh sweat or these guys maybe they don't have the body types to really do what they're being asked to do and i think as a result you know you're seeing some struggles in the run game in particular um and I think, you know, ultimately, I, I, I certainly anticipate the Eagles are going to eventually make some adjustments here where they're going to play more one high defenses and, you know, play a little bit more man to man and, and challenge these guys. But um, it's interesting, you know, their philosophy seems like has seemed to be, you know, we're going to sort of just let you keep everything in front. And, you know, these last couple of teams are like, OK, sounds good. We'll, we'll keep <laughs> it right and we'll just gain like seven yards of play. So I think yeah. there's definitely a balance there where, yes, you don't want to give up big plays, but at the same time, you don't want to just, you know, consistently give off, you know, five, six, seven, eight-yard gains. So there's – I think you'll see more variation in what they're doing on defense going forward. Yeah, Ryan, I was talking to Fletch yesterday, uh, and he mentioned the four-eye technique, mm-hmm. and he did not seem happy about it. Um, playing a little bit out of position to what he's used to when he liked – Jim Swartz's system, and obviously he could go get the quarterback, and he's one of the best three techniques of his generation. Darius Slay, pretty successful, actually, against Kansas City. He wasn't the problem, but he's more of a man coverage guy, playing a a lot of zone. When you have these veteran players who've had success in other systems, how difficult is it to keep those guys? I know you start in 2015. You're still a young man, but from your thought process as a coach, how, how difficult is that? You know, at the end of the day, I think um, that's maybe one of the perils of free agencies. You get these guys that are, have been taught to do something for five years of their life a certain way, and they get comfortable, you know, playing things a certain way. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, welcome over. And that we sort of experienced that a little bit with Hargrave, not that he, you know, wasn't trying, but he was being asked to do something completely different in Pittsburgh And we were sort of projecting him to, you know, end up lining up more as a one gap player and penetrating and pass rushing. And he hadn't really done that much. He was reading blocks and and things like that. And it was a little bit of a process. But at the end of the day, I think everyone starts, you know, pointing fingers and and questioning when your team's not playing well. Like, like I'm sure, you know, some of these defensive players for the Eagles were like loving the defense and they they thought it was great after the Atlanta game. They're like, damn, we're, we're, we're rolling, like we're playing good. And now all of a sudden they're looking around and they're saying, oh, is it the scheme? Is it what, what's going on? Like, I don't like playing this. And, you know, I think just, you know, from the coaches having a consistent message and making sure whatever you're doing on defense, all 11 guys have to be on the same page because if anybody is sort of just freelancing or, or trying to do their own thing, particularly with the run gaps, you know, it can get really ugly really quickly. But, you know, I think it is sort of challenging to have a guy like Slay who's, you know, 
sort of made his career in the NFL as a man guy. And then you're asking him to play zone at one of the higher rates in the NFL. And maybe it's like not the best use of resources to have a guy like this, whatever he's making $20 million a year to be a zone corner. Um, you know, it's sort of an interesting discussion, but I think, you know, there's going to be some situations here and critical down and downs and that they're going to probably going to play a little bit more man defense and you'll put play slay on the best receiver. And, you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, another linebacker question for you, Eagles linebacker question, as a matter of fact. Uh, over the last couple of drafts, while you were there, since you left as well, the Eagles have drafted college safeties and targeted moving them to the linebacker position. You have to have a specific body type, got to have a specific mm-hmm. skill set, and the Eagles think they're identifying these guys and are making going to attempt to make that transition. How difficult was that from a coaching standpoint? It's like they're giving you the clay, and the clay was used otherwise. So we want you to remold them here, and we want you to get yeah. them up to speed, ready for the season. How how difficult a task was it they put the guys like yourself, whose job it was uh, to get these guys converted? You know, I think one of the benefits, at least with the safety conversion guys, is that the safeties have to know a lot of what's going on for all 11 players. So from a mental standpoint, they, they were asked to do completely different things in college, but at least, you know, they had, I think, the – the mental ability to learn. And like, we saw that with, you know, I mean, I know some people didn't like Nate Gary, but you know, Nate was a college safety and he moved in and he ended up being the sharpest linebacker that we had ever had, like from a mental standpoint, which was great, but you know, it's, it's an enormous transition particular because these guys are not used to having 300 pound, 330 pound guys getting up on them. And, um, you know, taking on blocks, getting off blocks, all of these offensive linemen in the NFL are, you know, oftentimes significantly better than the players that they're facing in college. And, you know, I think from the run games perspective, that was really where it was challenging just because, you know, these guys physically, there was always like a pro like we even had like Kamu, you know, they they were just almost undersized. They didn't really know how to, how to do it. They wanted to sort of just jump around blocks rather than take on blocks. And it just wasn't something they were asked to do. And that was a little bit challenging. And I think just organizationally, it seems like the um, the Eagles sort of just don't put a big emphasis on run defense with those linebackers. <clears throat> they seem to just be more interested in having guys that, you know, can play the pass and stop the pass, which seems to make sense. But, you know, if you're going up against these teams that are, are pretty run heavy, you might see some of these linebackers that, you know, maybe they're not the greatest run defenders. You know, they may not look their best. Uh, Ryan, I'm glad you said that about Nate, because I would tell Eagles fans how much Ken loved Nate's football IQ, and they would yell at me. And I'm, I'm just yeah. telling you, he thinks he's the smartest guy. He <laughs> said he knew more about the linebacker position than him. And that's how Ken Flagell spoke yeah. about Nate Gary. But I, last one for me, and I want to thank you for joining the program again. Um I mentioned you started with the Eagles in 2015. So, you know, that's not that long of a time. But how, how much has the game changed with the RPOs in, in that short amount of time from from 2015 to today? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a difference I think a lot of people don't realize with the college and the pro level. Offensive linemen are allowed to go downfield farther in college than they are in the pros. And the Eagles keep getting these – illegal man downfield penalties. Mm -hmm. How difficult is that to teach from both sides, the offensive side, the defensive side, the linebackers, how to read that stuff? You know, so um, 
from our perspective with coach Schwartz defensively, we were very uh, committed to not letting them get easy throws on the RPOs. So we, you ultimately most of the RPOs are, are reading some kind of linebacker to determine whether or not it's a give read or, you know, sometimes it's a safety, but a, whether they're going to give it or throw it. And the way we ended up sort of coaching it. And I think a lot of teams started coaching it is okay. We can't just give up these easy slants or these easy, you know, throws that are, you know, almost a 90% completion rate. So let's slow play the run. And, you know, like, so what we would usually have our linebackers do is sort of shuffle for a few seconds and, you know, from the quarterback's perspective, they would interpret that as a read give. But one of the most interesting things was that pretty much nobody was running these, these RPO concepts prior to our Super Bowl year. And um, we had sort of added those in that season. And some of these teams had absolutely no idea what the heck was going on. Like it was, there, there was guys pass, you know, you'd have linebackers pass dropping eight yards on run plays. And it was just like the easiest 20 plus yard run you could ever even imagine. And I think, you know, Andy sort of took it to another level in the years following that, where it seems like they almost have like pass run options where you don't even really know, are they trying to run it? Or are they trying to pass it? What is the read? Like what is Mahomes doing? But like either way, it was really tough to stop. And I think you're seeing all sorts of different, you know, concepts. It used to be like most of the concepts on the backside of the RPOs were just slants. And now you're seeing like all sorts of funky things, slants, picks, you know, pick flat. Um, you know, sometimes guys are just going vertical. Like the Kansas City had one where Tyreek just sprinted down the field on an RPO. They just lob it up to him. So, you know, I think uh, there's all sorts of different variations. It definitely makes it harder and harder to stop uh, because you're, you're particularly when the, there's a gray area with those offensive lines. And I think, you know, from a defensive coach's perspective, we were so mad whenever there would be offensive linemen, you know, three, four yards downfield that was not called. So yeah. those plays are getting called. And unfortunately it's like burn the Eagles a couple of times where, you know, I don't know, Dillard had a few that he was down the field and um, it's always like a cat and mouse game with the refs. And it's like, come on, man, like this, that guy's like, <laughs> like, there was always debates and, you know, it really is hard for them to officiate too, because, you know, sometimes a guy's engaged at one and there's like rules of like, okay, if he starts engaging and then he ends up at two, like, how is that officiated for the yards downfield? Like what if he's, it, it was a circus, honestly, it's really hard to officiate. Um, but it seems like it's a little bit more of a, an emphasis and, you know, it's kind of hurt the Eagles at times, but at the same time, the RPO concepts they're running seem to be pretty effective in terms of moving the ball. So, you know, I think they just have to clean up some of that stuff a little bit and they'll be fine. There's an objective guy for you who can actually admit it's kind of difficult to do referee. Yeah. And yeah. Football no doubt. Not all yeah. coaches take that attitude. Good for you, Ryan. Last one for me. No, there's some Eagle blood still pumping through your veins. Your brother's still here. You were here as long mm -hmm. as you were. Um, Eagles aside, anything else in the National Football League that jumped out at you when you watch on a Sunday afternoon, yeah. a Monday night, a Thursday night, you go, damn, that looked good. Damn, if we've been able to do that. Damn, why couldn't we think of something like that? What's jumped out at you this year so far in the first four weeks of the NFL? Um, You know, I think a lot of teams are trying to copy Brandon Staley's uh, three, four alignments that he was running, you know, even, even the Eagles to some degree with this, like this, it's really kind of like a three, four tight front. And, and teams are trying to go with these, a lot more of these two high defenses and to try to slow down the pass games. And I think, you know, what usually happens is you, whatever teams are successful the previous year, you see all these coaching staffs, you know, trying to copycat. And we would do that with coach Schwartz. We'd like, go look up, okay, what team led the league in sacks? What team had the best run defense? What team, 
you know, gave up the fewest yards per play. And, and realistically, the Rams were number one in points allowed and they were number one in, you know, yards per play last year. And I think a lot of teams are trying to implement that stuff. I mean, even I've even saw Mike Zimmer, who has run the same sort of concepts for a very long time. He's running these tight fronts. It's like it's, it's a sort of a very unusual thing, but you're seeing, you know, teams, I think, just try to they're, – they're struggling so much against the pass. They're trying to come up with solutions to tr- sort of maybe play later boxes, slow down the pass game a little bit, and then these offenses are responding with, you know, more RPOs or more run game stuff, and it's sort of an interesting balance there. Ryan, good stuff. We appreciate you coming on board. In the FTL, uh, we'll uh, say hello to your brother up here in Philadelphia. Um, always the best, buddy. Thanks for hopping on with us. We will get you on again somewhere down the line. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ryan. That is Ryan Paganetti. John developed a good relationship with him when he was here as a coach here in Philadelphia. And he's good enough to come on with us to give a completely different perspective. We have a lot of different guys come on the show, have different perspectives. Certainly Ryan's is different as well. And we'll continue to tap into him from time to time. He is John McMullen. I am Jody McDonald. We are Mac and Mac on Birds 365. Coming back, put a bow on the show. And promo and appearance by yours truly tonight. Get out oh, of the Oh, yeah. Jacob, I heard about YouTube, that. Media YouTube. Yeah, we'll uh, run that down for you. Coming back next here on Birds 365. <laughs> At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.
guys here on Birds 365, a Thursday edition. Speaking of Thursday, Thursday night here on the Jacob YouTube channel is Countdown to Kickoff, a live taping at Screwballs out on Beadle Road in King of Prussia. And yes, the Grand Poobah, uh, Joe Krause, has asked me to come out and join the proceedings tonight. So I haven't done a live show in I don't know how long. Because of the pandemic, and oh, yeah. the shifts that I'm doing on radio these days don't lend themselves to going out and doing live shows till two o'clock in the morning. Uh, so I, at minimum of two years, maybe three, since I've been out doing a live show, Johnny Mac, I'm looking forward to tonight's gathering. Wow, yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I didn't think about how long it's old. It's old hat for you, but it's been a while. So. I, yeah done probably a thousand of them in my career but it's been a long time i've been out for a uh, live show and i'm looking forward to doing it tonight as i did look forward to and thank you very much for uh, getting ryan paganetti on the show with us here's the reason why i like him not only the fact that he's got a perspective that you and i don't have and uh, many of our other guests don't have um he's a straight shooter too yeah the thing he said today that i really liked was I asked him about being an Eagle linebacker coach and the Eagle linebacker philosophy, which does goes long before Jody McDonald or John McMullen. Yeah. It oh, goes yeah. back to Jerry decades. Robinson. You Jerry go Robinson. Back to Jerry yeah, Robinson. that's a little before both of our time covering the Philadelphia Eagles. They've just never had an appreciation for linebacker. They did get Jeremiah Trotter. We give him credit for that. That was a second round pick, not a first round pick. And they let him walk out the door as a free agent before they brought him back as a less expensive free agent. So our positioning of the Eagle linebacker and how much importance they put on it, I think is quite accurate. Um, He did say we would have liked if they used a little bit more draft capital, a little bit more. uh, Coaching the position, yeah. You want Devin White, but – you know, it is interesting, and I did bring up Christian McCaffrey because running back is um, the linebacker, the offense. That's the position they don't value that much. But there are certain players where will where they will rethink their position. They haven't been in that at, at linebacker and hasn't worked out for them. I mean, you can go back to Michael Kendricks, who was a second-round pick, was pretty successful. Um they used the third round pick on Davion Taylor, but they have not developed linebackers well. Um, and you see the the fruits of that uh, right now. And it is interesting because, as Ryan mentioned, their philosophy is pretty evident: limit explosive plays in the passing game at all cost, and they're getting gashed in the running game. You know, so you almost have to live with it. And let me uh, add this to the mix for those uh, who didn't catch him on my show on WIP the other night. We've used him here on Birds 365. First time this year I had uh, my guy from NFL Draft Bible, Rick Saratella, on. And I asked him about this year's college football draftable quarterback group because you and I talked about it since – uh, basically, the day Carson Wentz was traded, how long are they going to give Jalen Hurts to prove he is the quarterback of the future, not only 2021, but going forward for the Eagles, that this is an evaluative year. 
and if not, you got to get your quarterback somewhere else. And the whole Deshaun Watson trade thing won't go away, although it's on hold right now because, A, the Texans aren't moving off their asking price, and, B, he'd have to okay a trade to Philadelphia, which we're not sure he would do. So the other alternative is to draft a quarterback high in the upcoming draft. Ricky's take the other night, John, was as of now, Carson Strong of Nevada, which I've mentioned before here on the show, taking a Carson from a Midwest flyover state might not go well with Eagle Nation, but if he's the best player, you got to take him. He said he's the only one in this year's draft class that he could put a first round grade on, not a top of the draft grade, not a top five grade, not a top 10 grade, a first round grade on. He's it. One, not Spencer Rattler, not Sam Howell, not Keaton Slovis, all the other guys who were thought to be potential first round draft picks this year. He said he's got one in the entire draft. Yeah, that's just they haven't played this well. But next time you have Rick on, maybe we can get Rick on first 365. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, come on. Um, that I bet he says, you know, once the season ends and the draft process begins and the NFL schedule, oh, they'll talk themselves into somebody. They will talk themselves into somebody. They are so quarterback desperate, so quarterback centric. I'm not saying they're right, but they will talk themselves into someone. It might be a terrible year. It might be only one top 10 guy. And I don't know who's going to be it, but they're going to talk themselves into somebody. I know how this league works. Yes, I and I agree with you. Somebody go in the top ten. But we have had years where yeah, it's yeah. been so light that teams couldn't even talk themselves into it. They they watch the film. They watch the tape. They look at the grade yeah. and say, we can't, we can't use a top ten pick on this guy, that guy, or the other guy. There are no quarterbacks. And in a year where, and it's still too early to say, we got a lot of football to play yet. We got to give Jalen Hurts his fair shot. Some of these guys may have big second halves of their collegiate season. But as of right now, it does not look like a year where you want to be solving your quarterback problems for the next decade through the draft. Just a note. And that's uh, our buddy. I'll get Ricky on in a couple weeks. Uh, it won't be a problem. He's, he's really good about coming on. So he'll come on with us uh, one day as well. I did want to get him on my uh, radio show because I know Eagle fans are starting to clamor at me on social media. How's the quarterback class look? Answer right now, not great. So uh, Jalen Hurts needs to have a big game. We'll come back and talk about Jalen Hurts tomorrow here on Birds 365. I'm going to talk about Jalen Hurts. You're not coming out with me tonight to screwballs, are you, McMullen? No, I'm going to be home too late. I got to do football 24-7 with Krause. I got to do a show with Devin Caney from the postgame. I got a lot going on, Jody. Okay. I'm going to be with uh, Krause tonight at Screwballs, Beadler Road in uh, King of Prussia. Um, I got to get my directions going here because I've never been to this fine establishment Screwballs before. So I got to find it first, but I go will to the be mall. there. And I... I said it, go to the mall. You'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> go to the mall. Go from there. Yeah. That's yeah. what everybody uses the directions in King of Prussia, which I can do, which I will be doing tonight. Come on out to Screwballs. Uh, Krause and I uh, will be out there. Should be a lot of fun. J-Mac, you and I tomorrow, right back here on Bird Street 365. You up Let's for it? Let's do it. We're going to see the prediction. I'm leaning. I'll tell you tomorrow. He's not saying yet. We'll be back here on Bird 365 tomorrow. 
If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.